Thank you so much, Richard. Good morning. I am biased toward your youth group, Pastor. We've had such a delightful time just chatting the last couple days. We talk every week, of course, about ministry things and study and, and yet uh, getting some face-to-face time with my son and talking about ministry and challenges in life and sanctification and family. Such a sweet and precious delight. Thanks to Josh for leading us with the team in our praises to the Lord. By the way, I'm a drummer, and why are they always putting us in a cage? (laughs) I don't see the other musicians in a cage. No, they know. They know we belong in a cage for sure. Thank you immensely for the privilege of being a part of this conference. It's a monumental topic, and we've been deeply challenged already in our singular devotion to Christ. My colleague, Dr. Rick Holland, just brought it to us right out of the gate. And any errant or superficial view of devotion to Christ would have been chased away as we were put on notice in the account of Martha and Mary And just this morning, exposed to the riches of what God has called us to do and to be about singularly in preaching and proclaiming His Word. So now we come to a different ambition, uh, an outflow ambition from what we have already heard. The title might be a little bit of a misnomer. Essentially, we're going to talk in this study session about the singular ambition of being equipped in the local assembly with the Word of God. We're to be a people known for our stubborn resolve to stand immovably upon the Word of Christ. Our ministries are to be marked by it. When errors, heresies, doctrines of demons whether subtle or blatant, assault the clarity and authority of the Word of God. His people in the local assemblies, the church of Jesus Christ, are to rise up in bold proclamation, anchoring our convictions to Scripture. After all, the household of God functions this way, Paul said to his young disciple Timothy. He said the church is the pillar and support of the truth. Truth is what we're about, the truth of Christ. The only way to fulfill the command is to be armed with it, to believe it with humility, yield our wills to it in submission. Contrary to the mystical and experiential approaches to the very definition of worship, The highest form of worship, the highest act of worship is humble submission to the voice of God in His Word. We're going to have to be equipped. Spiritual atrophy is not an option. We're to desire the milk of the Word, 1 Peter 2, 2, so that we may grow by it. We're to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter would later say in his second epistle. We're to be like the psalmist, Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. I love it. It is life. We're born again by the living and abiding truth, 1 Peter 1.23. Our minds are renewed in the truth, Romans 12.2. We live by every word of the truth which comes from the mouth of God, Matthew 4. Our Lord prayed in John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. We're always about the truth. We take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of Christ, the truth. Second Timothy 3.16, Paul said, it's breathed out by God 
and is fruitful, profitable, useful. It does its work to reprove and rebuke and correct and train in righteousness that the man of God is completely equipped and thus the people of God sanctified. These last few years have delivered up an unprecedented level of unbelief and blatant doctrinal compromise among evangelicals. What's the diagnosis? An unequipped evangelicalism. Years and years, decades of pragmatic, vacuous preaching, attempts to win the culture's favor, dimming the light of truth for the sake of human approval, literally robbing the sheep, starving the sheep, entertaining goats, and when the false sheep take off the wool costume, the church is filled with wolves, how can then we go after the error? How can we filter it at the door? Pretty soon, so many believers in so many churches were just applying human opinions to their Christian life. The next wave will always be coming. Demonic doctrine secretly introduced, and we are to have as a people of God one ambition. It is to be equipped in the local assembly for this great work. Take your Bibles and look at Ephesians chapter 4. I loved what Dr. Quigley said earlier about this great ambition of the preaching and its authority. God has a plan for equipping His people. It is to be our ambition to follow this plan, and only this plan. There is no other plan. There never has been another plan. It is all over the Scriptures, but it is encapsulated in this great text that Paul gives to Ephesus. This is his plan for our equipping. If you want to know what you're to be about, here it is. What you're to spend your time doing, here it is. What are the dangers if you walk away from it, here it is. People say to me all the time as a pastor, well, you know, we just we got offended by this or we didn't like that and we kind of distanced ourselves. And I always warned them, if you do not sit under the sound preaching of God's Word, you will suffer. When we brought our kids to church, we were not teaching them how to be a part of some club, some conservative group of people. We wanted them to be under the preaching event because the preaching event, as Dr. Quickly said earlier, is a supernatural event whereby the Spirit does unique things. God intended that to be the case. This text is familiar, but let's just read through the portion we're going to deal with, beginning in verse 11, and I'll refer to a couple of verses earlier in just a moment, but in verse 11, and he, that is Christ, gave some in the church as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, 
We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitted and held together by, which every, by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, the whole body causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's the plan. That is every Christian's drivetrain. That's our focus. That's what we want to do, to be a part of that plan, nothing else. If we follow this plan, we are ahead of the errors. Has it not been exhausting how fast they're coming? And how many of your friends who might attend places where they're not feeding the sheep, how quickly they have waffled on things that are so basic in Scripture? We have professing believers, friends. I'm, I'm not sure whether it's the seed of apostasy in them and they're going to be in 1 John 2. They went out from us because they weren't of us or whether they're Christians who are going to starve and be under the chastening of Christ until they learn. But they are giving up things that are so clear in Scripture. And it has been coming in an accelerated fashion. Why? Because they're a part of ministries where this ambition to equip has been lost, sidetracked. You want to see the next error before it comes? You want to discern good from evil, as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 5? You want to assault the error with the truth? You want to have the immovable strength of conviction we heard about, but sheathed in meekness? And you got to stick to God's plan. Here are the features of it. Here are the features of God's plan. Somebody asks you, why does Founders do what it does? Why does your church do what it does? Why does Grace Emmanuel do what it does? Here it is. Number one, God has supplied the means. That's the first feature. God has supplied the means. Look at verse 11. And he gave some Richard, I loved it. You said that some people don't believe a man is called to ministry by God. There is no way around this text. Christ gave gifts to men. And pastors are mentioned here as gifted men given to God's people for the equipping. And they were given by Christ, gifted by him, given by him. That's a call. He gave gifts. Look at verse 7. To each one of us, grace was given. That's right. Every Christian has a grace enablement unique to your package, unique for the building up of the body, as he will say in verse 16, unique to the individual as God wants to use him in the body of Christ. You say, really? I, I've been given that? Yeah. And this isn't a message on spiritual gifts, but First Peter 4 makes it as clear as can be as each one has been given a grace enablement. Employ it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We are given a gift that is our package for the building up of the body and the way God wants to build His flock by our influence and sacrifice and service for Christ. And Christ gave those I mean, notice the inherent sovereignty in it. He gave gifts to men, verse 8 says. Verse 11, he gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and those that teach, catechize. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, Paul would tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 distributing to each one individually just as he desires, the sovereignty in it. The Spirit did it. That's why, as Dr. Holland said, Corinth had lots of problems, one of which was all this comparison going on. I want that guy's gifts. They were just a... They became whiners and complainers full of pride, wanting what 
They wanted to think about gifts and ministry. No, no, no. God's plan is he is sovereign. He distributed them. He gave them to the church for their equipping. You don't mess with his equipping plan. Just as he desires, Paul will tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, 18. There's nothing we need to invent There's nothing we need to innovate in order to deal with difficult cultural upheaval. I love the fact that in our coalition of ministries, we talked about the onslaught. We've looked at these errors. We've seen them come and go. We came through whatever was going on culturally as people were talking about churches, should we meet, all that kind of stuff. And it was steady pulpits, steady equipping, because we're not about to mess with that plan. So often the church becomes distracted by all the endless controversies and digital theological noise all around us. But God has supplied his people with all that they need for life and godliness, and the means by which we are matured is the word of God preached relentlessly by God's chosen and gifted servants in a local assembly under the care of those shepherds. He didn't give us our opinions about gifted men. He didn't ask our opinions. He didn't give us man's favorites. He didn't give us one-size-fits-all type gift or called man. He didn't give mere talented talking heads. He didn't give business geniuses. He did not give event planners. He didn't give us entertainers. I mean, we've turned church life and evangelicalism for decades into a, evangelicalism's got talent. He didn't give any of those things for any of those reasons. God's means of equipping the saints and facing off with destructive error has always been shepherds called and gifted to feed and lead the flock of God. And when the people of God separate from the gifts that God has given in the church, the equipping becomes dull, shortcut, and dangerous. Notice the comprehensive package here. We don't have time to cover these categories, but he gave some as apostles and the prophets. Those, according to chapter 2, verse 20, laid the foundation doctrinally and revelationally in the new covenant ministry. As Christ had promised to the apostles the Spirit would do, he would remind them of all that he had said, and it would be brought to them by the inspiration of the Spirit. Second Peter 1, they were moved and spoke from God, and then that is passed to the new covenant work of the church. They laid the foundation, after which came these wonderful gifts that a person would have to go into an area where Christ wasn't named and churches were born, God was saving his people, the gospel came, those beautiful feet we heard about. And then as those who are gifted to see that spread the people who were saved and in that location need shepherds who will stay there and shepherd the flock of God among them. And so God set teachers in place and pastors who preach the word of God and shepherd God's people. This is the equipping plan of God. This is his means. And we've already heard how he equips them. In fact, notice verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. This is a reference not to your personal belief in God. That is granted by God, and it is, of course, instrumental in the work of redemption. Here, it's a reference, I believe, to the body of truth that belongs to God's people, the once for all delivered to the saints' faith. We are to attain to a a unity in the body of truth that has been given to us in the Word of God. And so these called and gifted men, having been affirmed and appointed in the church, are to constantly feed and lead the sheep. And it is relentless, and it ends when we meet the chief shepherd. This is what we are about. People might say, you're part of that Christian group, that church group, you always go to that place and you guys all stand in the same place and you're all different and you sing and all those kind of, why do you do that? Here it is. This is what we're supposed to be doing until Christ comes. 
If we're being equipped, we're pouring the truth into our hearts and minds so that we might live for Christ and then let Him take the influence to those that He is saving. In pointing out these things, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 6, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Listen to this language. Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you've been following. Constantly nourished on the words of faith. When a ministry or Christians capitulate to the error of the day, it is exposing malnourishment. The error that, has, that, that we have now seen has resulted in compromise and evangelicalism didn't cause evangelicalism to compromise. It exposed the heart of it already, the lack of equipping. It hasn't been their ambition to equip the saints with God's Word. Notice verse 12, gifted people serving the flock and building. So we are equipped for the work of the ministry. We're equipped. Our service is to edify the body. As you obey and give to the body your giftedness, it is matured through your contribution. God has supplied the means you're a part of it. You are not sidelined. You might be under the discipline of the Lord here and there for, for weakness and sin. You might, you might have a time where you took yourself out of a pure-hearted service to the Lord because He's got to deal with something. You might have to go through a wilderness, but it is not that you get to choose that you're out of it. If you're in Christ, you are part of this plan. You are equipped for the work of service you must serve. You build up the body when you do. Always marveling when, when people get into the life of the church and they just sit there. I don't mean during preaching. That's what we're doing. I mean, you ask them, where does God use you? I'm not talking about a formal ministry. That, that happens and people are a part of those things. It's wonderful. Logistics happen in the people of God. But I'm talking about where is the influence of your being equipped having impact in people's lives, your sphere of influence, your circle of friends, people on the Lord's day, the labor that people see you doing. You may not have a speaking gift as Peter categorized it. You may just have one of the behind-the-scenes serving, serving gifts. But how is the Lord using you to build up the body? Sometimes it's just a blank stare. I don't, I don't know what you mean. You don't have that option. God set the means. It is in the local assembly. You're not an attachment to the local assembly. This isn't some place you get to visit. You belong to a local assembly. God has called gifted men to equip you, and we are responsible then to take that equipping and serve the ministry, do the work of service for the building up of the body. Secondly, the second feature of God's plan. First, he supplied the means. Second, he set the mark. He sent the benchmark. He set the standard. Notice, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until. So I love that because this is what we're looking for. Until we see or attain to three things. The unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The first is the arrival at unity around the truth. Unity around the truth. I think quite often when it comes to the ways that Satan is able to introduce errors that evangelicalism just doesn't do enough of the work of sitting down with someone and opening our Bibles together and just going after what is God's mind on this? Why would I have confidence that that's going to happen when there's always so much argument out there? Listen, two Christians with their Bible open who have the Spirit of God and will bring their heart in humility under God's Word can only go one direction. Because it is the 
spirit that does unify us. We're in vital union with Christ in our conversion. We have the Holy Spirit, and we are to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How do we do that? God's truth renewing our mind. It draws us together and pulls us together. That's part of the plan. You're not going to agree on all the ways you might apply a principle in Scripture. Romans 14 tells us each can be convinced in his own mind. We had far too much fighting about things, thinking they were in some other principled passage instead of Romans 14. And when you can leave things in Romans 14 that belong in Romans 14, there's peace. No big deal. We just see things different in the application of things, but where there are mandates, we're driving toward unity. Why? Because we'll do the work. We'll sit down and we'll think together and we'll talk together and we'll open Scripture together. And we won't just do it once. We'll keep doing it in the body of Christ until we are drawn together around the faith, the body of truth. We arrive at unity. Notice that second phrase, though, here comes through our obedience and the knowledge of the Son of God. It's very interesting. The Apostle Paul loves to use terms wherein he applies an extra sort of prefix to a term or adds something to the term which gives it intensity. And that's what he often does with the word knowledge so that we don't think this is mere mental knowledge. He's talking here about experiential Knowledge of the Son of God because the power of God is active in your life when you're yielded to Him in obedience. He's talking about what you know by conviction because you've lived it. The Spirit of God gave you power to live it. You see the power of God. When I, when I first came to Christ, I had no way of explaining the Bible to my wife and I had absolutely no tact. She grew up Catholic and I just went after Catholicism like I was going to single-handedly dismantle the belly of the beast. She grew up with that. It was traditions and works and everything the human heart is born into in our deadness. But you know what she couldn't deny? She came in one night and just said, you have a power I do not have. In the way we interact, you, you say things and do things and and you act in a way that I've never seen you do. And I don't have the ability to do it. I've tried. I don't have the ability to do it. That's what Paul is talking about here. The, the intense knowledge, the real knowledge of the Son of God. Your conversion living itself out in experiential changed life. The power of the Spirit of God transforming you. We are to arrive at unity around the truth as our minds are renewed and the Spirit of God draws us together around the defense of the truth and our obedient lives. In other words, we're, we're being more and more conformed to the image of Christ. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about how I live the Christian life and how you live the Christian life. We become more and more the character of our Lord. We say what He says. We conduct our lives the way his holiness was on display and what he has said in his word. We think his thoughts after him. Our affections are for him. We don't worship feelings. We love Christ and we feel what he felt when he expressed those sanctified and holy affections. Our desires, our inclinations are new by the Spirit and that's brought together in the body together. Not just arriving at unity, but also our arrival at maturity. Notice how Paul goes on here. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. I love this. If you want to know if a church is a place that you can land, if you were looking for a church, you should see Christ-like maturity in those that have been under the Word of God the longest, and even though the church is always open door to an influx of people God is bringing where the truth is taught because He wants His sheep fed, 
whatever the spectrum in a congregation, there should be those who were under the Word of God the longest, they're beginning to manifest on a consistent basis the mature Christian life. They're not lovers of the world. They hate sin at greater levels. They fight harder in the strength which God supplies. They love the truth at a deeper level. Their insights are transcendent because they are given by the Spirit in His renewing work. This is what you see in the core of a church congregation that has come under the Word of God for its equipping. And that'll tell you, if you see those people and you'd never even heard a sermon from that pastor, it will tell you that that pulpit is proclaiming the life-changing, powerful Word of God, and God's people are being equipped to a mature man. Galatians 4.19, Rick referred to it in his opening study when Paul said, I am in labor until Christ is fully formed in you. Every man complete in Christ. That's why we teach and admonish one another. That's why you disciple. That's why you counsel. That's why you don't ignore sin in someone's life. You practice Galatians 6.1. If anyone's caught in a trespass, you who are walking in the Spirit, strengthened by the Spirit, you confront, you encourage, you restore that broken part of that person's life. You work to see them honor Christ so that they're blessed. And you take heed to yourself lest you be tempted and you do it with gentleness. That's a mature body. So God's plan is that you arrive at, through this equipping, at unity and maturity, and then notice the continuity that you arrive at, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ. Doesn't that suddenly cause you to ask yourself about your own Christian life, how much do I consider that everything we study and everything we do terminates in the person and work of Christ? When I go to the Bible, I want to know my Savior. When I pray, I want to pray and I want to humbly offer my requests and petitions to God through my Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. When I am ministering my gifts and God is equipping me and I'm developing convictions. I want it to point to Christ. I want it to be consumed with His person and His work. I want to learn redemption in all of its depths. I'm not going to study theology just for winning some argument or impressing a group of friends or hoping that I can get under some guru's teaching and be seen as an intellectual. Not at all. Like Dr. Charles said, I want to be at the feet of Christ. That's, that's exactly what Paul is referring to here. A church in the local assembly with called and gifted men who are equipping the saints should be maturing to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That is to say everything about him. Yes, there's an inexhaustible, infinite dynamic to that, and only eternity will give us the opportunity to plumb its depths, which are never to be exhausted. But even here and now, with the Spirit of God renewing our minds, we can come to understand the person and work of our Savior and be so overwhelmed with Him. I sometimes... I sometimes think people imagine that that means you're just sitting around in some contemplative life. No, pondering and meditation is surely a spiritual discipline, but if it doesn't have the actual passages and texts and doctrines from those texts, from Scripture itself, it's something else. I just want to know what the Scriptures point to when they point to the person and work of 
the Lord Jesus. I just want to know all of what the Old Testament said so that it provides the depth and the bottom of everything the New Covenant then explains. I want to know everything that the New Covenant brought forth as it came from God and through the pen of those apostles and authors and then given to the church and then it was taught from house to house and catechized for them. And when they got together in the early days, it was always going to be this measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ as the benchmark. Nothing else. The reason that these errors and assaults on the truth have made headway in so-called areas of evangelicalism is because we forgot about that sermons, preaching, equipping. It just kind of became this sort of thing that you do perfunctorily. You just attend. Life is too busy. Schedule's too hard. The culture's onslaught coming too fast. The digital world too cluttering. There's just no way to deal with it, so I'll go because I'm a part of that assembly Man, I hope I can survive. I don't know if, about you, but I have heard too many Christians, even believers who belong to a church where the preaching and equipping is faithful, telling me that they're just trying to survive. How can we talk like that when this is the mark, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? What about we start saying that to one another? Hey, how are you doing? Well, it's a war and a battle, but the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ is right there. That's my target. How about you start saying that in your ministry to one another? Yeah, that's my target, the fullness of Christ. That's what I'm praying for. Pray for me on that. It's a war. I have my weapons. I take my thoughts captive, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, but the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, I want his love to permeate me. I want his words to come out of my mouth. I want to live by every one of them. I want to have this attitude in myself, which was also in Christ Jesus, where I am humbled to serve him. I want to have Luke 17, 10 in my mind when I've done all that my Savior has commanded. Anybody on that list? Anybody want to volunteer? that you've done all that the Savior commanded. But he said, when you've done all that I've commanded, then consider yourself uh, an unworthy slave of Christ who's only done what's expected of him. Shouldn't that be what we put over the doors of our ministries? Unworthy slaves, a worshiping community, only doing what's expected from us by our worthy Lord and Master. What a privilege to serve him. Well, he supplied the means and he has set the mark. He's also stressed the magnitude of this and I want to camp here for a moment. He's stressed the magnitude of this in verses 14 and 15. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there. Man, if there was ever a description of what has been happening to people who profess Christ, it is right there, tossed all over the place. We never would have imagined excusing wicked desires simply because you never acted on them on the outside. We never would have excused that. As if the Holy Spirit doesn't want to transform the whole man, he's just going to leave the garbage in there, and as long as you don't act on it, wow, what a sanctifying grace that is. We, should, we would have never entertained those ideas had we been equipped and followed God's means. How did we ever come to the place where we thought that a person could actually know Christ and be equipped in Christ, but his sinful lifestyle, immersed in deviant sexual behavior is part of it. How did we ever accept stuff like that? It's because we're not out of infancy. 
we went back to some degree like the Corinthian church. And Paul never chided the Corinthian church as if they were all unbelievers. He said, you as a church lack in no gift, but you have some serious equipping problems because I can't even give you food that is nourishing. I can't give you meat. I have to go back to baby stuff because you're acting like, he said, mere men. We would never have been accepting of the social justice movement, knowing full well that the scriptures teach that in the body of Christ there are no superstructures. All of us are one in Christ. He is saving from every nation and tribe and people and tongue. And if you say, yeah, but I was one of those oppressed people. Listen, if you were one of the oppressed people, you have an even more powerful example of forgiveness than any other people. It, it boggled my mind that we had people who were in the throes of suffering and oppression, and we have always had that across the globe, but those who've come to Christ, who are a part of whatever group they think they're a part of, it boggled my mind that they were not the most powerful examples of forgiveness. Nobody was more oppressed, more mistreated than Jesus Christ who said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Listen, I don't know how in the world we ever bought into social justice and those dynamics because, unless we were never out of infancy as an evangelical movement. Wokeism? It's just, it's just another version of it. And it's made to look like compassion, as Herbert Schlossberg warned many decades ago. That's just, that's just vengeance taking seed and coming out in some virtue signal. We should have never bought that. We should have never had any of that stuff. Women preaching, the shepherd motif of the Old Testament destroys that. Why is, why is no one talking about that? You never had any female shepherds. Anywhere in the motif. We are vulnerable to these things because, like Paul says here, we've been tossed like children by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, craftiness and deceitful scheming. Of course that's how they're going to come. That's the point of the equipping. Remember talking to some college kids at a Bible study once and, you know, it was common for young people to get all passionate when they profess Christ and then and they start to hate capitalism and they start to hate the excesses of our culture and so then they want to go live under a rock and do all that stuff for a while. And then we're sitting there in this Bible study and this young man agitated, angry that in his mind we're wasting time, people need the gospel and he said to me, why are we sitting here working through some doctrinal issue when we need to go? And I just said to him, go with what? Go with what? Children need nourishment to develop and grow. The analogy is very clear, and it's used all over the New Testament, most particularly, though, by Peter in 1 Peter Two, one and two, right? Long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Long for the food and the nourishment. I said, what are we going to do? Send you out and you don't know how to open the word of God and clarify what Satan is going to try to introduce. You, you don't know how to do that. That's what we're doing here. You need to belong to a local assembly. That's another trend. They wouldn't belong to a local assembly because it's just structuralized and we're freewheelers and we're kind of a mosaic. We go wherever. The local body of believers is to be equipped because when we are to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, as a result, we are no longer tossed. I love that. 
abrupt movement. I mean, it's deliberate here. Carried about. That's the idea of going around without progressing toward a destination. It's just wandering. No capacity to separate truth from error. No discernment. No capacity to evaluate various teachers and subtle teachings which undermine truth. That's, that's a constant thing in the church and should be. We should constantly be thinking through books that are coming out and digital media and what about this teacher and that guy and, and as the Word of God is taught and you're growing into the maturity of the stature of Christ, He, because you're practicing your yielding of your will and your heart humbly to the Scriptures, He is renewing your mind and Hebrews 5 says you begin to be able to discern good from evil. Practice. We are... We are being equipped, we're serving in the ministry, and we're constantly practicing the truth, and we're taking it in, we're yielding to it, and we're practicing it again, and we're helping each other do it. If you didn't know that was church life, buckle up, because that's why you're here. And what a precious place to be in a city this large with such need. Under this pulpit, I thank the Lord for... Faithful preachers, you know, Richard and I never had the same background. We, we just met one day, and he always says, we're like brothers from another mother. <laughs> it's like every issue we touch on, we already see biblical truth exposing the seeds of these problems, and we already know the solution, and we already start going after it, and it's like we just, on the same cylinders. We're not to be carried about. Infants are helpless little ones. False teachers come and they are crafty. Oh, they're crafty. So crafty. Paul would say in Romans 16 that they flatter you got to be able to discern their flattery. If you haven't been equipped, you're not going to be able to discern it. You're going to get caught up. Pretty soon, you're going to be off into the weeds, and some Christian's going to say, what are you doing over there? And you're going to say, what? What do you mean what I'm doing? I'm, I'm still within the circle. No, you're not. You're not within the circle. It happens at every level, seminary level, discussions. Anytime you get away from the local church where you're being equipped with God's Word, you, you're going to find yourself in the weeds very quickly. And that's what happened in evangelicalism. We just keep moving the circle wider to include these things that are subtle because they're not picking it up. Why? They're tossed around by the craftiness of the scheme. And you are easy pickings. If you think you can do that on your own, I know how it is in body life. You know, we live busy lives. We have a busy culture. Coming to the Lord's Day all your life, teaching your children to come to the Lord's Day all their lives, pouring the gospel into their little minds and hearts so they can see their need for a Savior. And as a tutor, it leads them to Christ because they know they can't do it and they need His grace. Bringing them every Lord's Day, making sure your stuff is packed up, getting here, making sure that you're involved and serving somehow in the influence that God has given you in your sphere. This is, this is the kind of life we live, and yet it is very much busy and difficult and challenging. But If you're going to be tempted to start taking little shortcuts, you need to come back to a text like this and you need to look at the magnitude of this that God has stressed. You have to come out of infancy, that's His plan, into adulthood in the Christian life. Discernment, stability, can only get that under God's Word, and the body of Christ is the unique place where that equipping takes intense levels. God has stressed the magnitude. Why? Because He set the mark. He set the benchmark, and He provided the means. He gave these gifts to the body. The last feature, then, should flow right from it. This is so 
straightforward. God has specified the particular medium, the way it's mediated. We speak the truth in love, growing up into all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And then take out in verse 16 the front phrase in your English Bible and the last clause of the English and just move right to the middle of it. Being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. That's you and me. The whole body benefits from it. It's built up in love, verse 16 says at the end. Christ is the head supplying all that is needed for this to happen. But that middle section is where you and I are at work. We are part of the organism in action. God specified it. The source of all growth is the head, Christ. So if a church in all of its busyness loses that, as our brother Dr. Quigley said, you're going to lose the love of it. And it doesn't take long When Ephesus was planted, it was a stout ministry in a very difficult city. And less than 35 years later, it was being warned about its influence being taken away by Christ himself because they started to do all this stuff and they lost the head. They stopped being connected to the head. They were defending doctrinal statements rather than scripture, probably preaching sermons from a philosophical basis eventually, or just sort of theologically themed sermons and not putting people's eyes into the scriptures and their heart under it. And no doubt they were exhorting people to stay away from false doctrine, but they weren't exhorting them in a love of Christ. Something was missing and it was their head from whom the whole body builds itself up in love. You can't be attached from the head and grow. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. But then notice, notice the way the machinery just looks like it's working here. It's an organism, but it's got movement to it. Being fitted and held together, that's ligament language the strength of one another, helping each other, discipling one another, encouraging one another, admonishing one another, holding people back from sin, teaching and shepherding and coming alongside and confronting. This is the ligament work. That's what strengthens the symmetry and healthiness of the way the body moves. It is fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. You do not want to be a weak tendon. You do not want to be a part of the joint that just stopped moving for Christ. And what you notice when you read even that clause is that it's fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. In other words, the supply is there. It is axiomatic that where Christ is the head supplying it to the body, the joints will supply. I think people kind of get a cynical view sometimes about the work that's going on in the work of the church. He's building his church. Here's another way of saying it. Paul says every joint is supplying what Christ gives to the body. When you are part of the ligament work, strengthened and moving according to the gifts God has given you. That's what he says next, according to the proper working of each individual part. Lord, I'm an individual part. What am I doing? What would you want me to do? Saturday night, have you ever prayed, Lord, tomorrow... The Word of God is going to go forth from the pulpit of our local assembly. We're going to be a community of worshipers gathering 
You have given me giftedness. I'm an individual part. I've, I've, I've got a proper way to work, and that is to humbly just let that go on the sphere of influence you've given me. Lord, who are you going to bring to my sphere of influence on the Lord's day, and will I be ready? Or do I just come and kind of, man, look at this place go. Look at all these people serving the Bible. Oh, it's incredible how it just goes. I'm just going to sit here. I, I, I like this spectating kind of thing. Keeps me away from the people that annoy me. <laughs> Make sure that I don't have to get involved in some conflict with somebody. Oh, conflict. I'm so tired of conflict. We're so different, you know, me and that group. I can't, can't go to that group. Really? Your pastor was illustrating ministry by the analogy of marriage this morning in our little breakfast time with the students. And he made a great point that the deepening of your love happens in the context of your differences. Similarities are easy. You gravitate naturally to the people that are like you, you know, do the same things, say the same things, dress the same way, you know. But it's in the context of what God brings to you for you to be able to minister. That's when sanctification really deepens because you've got to get outside of you. Don't think that a proper working of each individual part means you get to sort of find your little place, your little corner, and avoid everything else that goes on. Oh, no, the Lord loves to do this when you want to be all nice and comfy. He loves to do that. And I, I'm so thankful for that because I would have been so selfish. I would have just made it all about my little place. And yet, here's the one ambition I ought to have. Lord, am I... Am I a proper working part? Because if I am, then the growth of the body from the head builds itself up in love. Guess what? I don't get any credit. It builds itself up from the head, even Christ. I've got no power to do this, but oh, what a power when I am freed up to go wherever, to minister to whomever. Wow, what God does. I can't wait to get to glory. I mean, for obvious reasons, but <laughs> I can't wait to get there and spend eternity finding out the traceable lines and ways that the movement and strengthening of the body of Christ influenced people, not just to see them regenerated, not just gospel testimonies, but the wondrous works of God, how he used what you did three weeks ago, 10 years later in someone's life, and there's a traceable line all the way back, and when you see Christ for who he is, and you see, you see him as he sees us, and you begin to see that, it will be the wondrous works of God, and cause a praise that is outside of our understanding, this side of glory. I, I can't wait for that. Lord, wow. You're going to show us what you were doing with the proper working of each individual part and the ligaments and the little place I, I had. Wow, what a service to you. What an honor to serve you. And only heaven has recorded what you did with, with what you gave me to use. You gave a measure of faith and a gift, Paul told him in Romans 12, to do this work, you gave that to me. What did I do with it? Beloved, this is the one ambition of what you're going to be doing for the rest of your days until you meet Christ. Here it is. Lord, equip me in the local assembly to do the work you've called me to do. And I'm not going to sit on the sidelines and I'm not going to look for the click that I like. I'm not going to allow the distractions that we were so boldly exhorted not to allow by Dr. Holland. I want to be in this plan, a ligament 
that you're using to supply the body, and it's being built up in what? Love. The love of Christ. There is nothing more precious about the good news than the love of God in Christ expressed in our redemption, our rescue, our forgiveness. And when that starts to permeate in the body, now it is poised for some serious gospel battle with a dying culture. Now its light is brighter than ever in a darkening, an ever-darkening community. That's what you want. That's what you pray for in your leaders. That's what you pray for in one another. That's what you encourage in one another. This is what you ask the Lord for. Lord, use me that way. Whatever that may mean. And it will be as varied as the gifts he gave to each of us. Isn't that amazing? It's just amazing. And, you know, Peter, talk about simplifying. He kind of puts gifts in two categories. You got these gifts where people take the truth in and they speak it, and so they're called the speaking gift dynamics. And then you have the other category of the serving gifts. Pretty simple to Peter in his mind. God raises up those that will be articulating truth in a transcendent way and exhorting God's people in it, and it will happen in small venues and discipleship venues and preaching venues, and then you have those that they're not, that, that isn't their particular expression of it. They're far more uniquely used in some way that makes all the rest of those gifts happen, as Paul would tell the Corinthians. Don't worry about identifying some exact category. Just stick to the plan. Am I being equipped? What am I doing with these messages that come from God's Word? Is it just another message? Is it just another podcast? Just another clickbait? Just another thing to send to somebody? Or am I taking it and am I saying, Lord, how does this equip me for the work of service, for the work of ministry you've asked me to do? Bring them to my doorstep, help me see it and discern it, and then be humble enough to give myself to it sacrificially. Amen? If we do that, then all this, whatever new doctrine of demon that's coming down the pike in all of its blatant stuff and its subtle deceptions, we will see it we will discern it, truth from error, evil from good, and it will die at the door of the assembly. And it won't be allowed in to disrupt this great work that Christ is doing. Bow with me. Lord, we confess that Loving you like this is often a challenge, not merely because of all the darkness around us, but a challenge because we're, we're often not taking what you've given and appropriating it. We're often sidelined by other things. They might be good things, but we can turn any good thing into an idolatry. And what we ought to have is the one central ambition of coming into Christ's likeness for which we've been saved by you, predestined to be conformed to your image. And so that is going to mean being equipped so that we can practice these things in humility and discern truth from error. Thank you for beloved brothers and churches who have, who have stayed the course in all of this upheaval. They are our models. We have been thankful for the warriors and generals and colonels and captains that you've given to the body of Christ. We're mostly thankful for the body itself and the gifts that you've given in each local assembly, both the men that you've called to preach and shepherd and the servants who are equipped to do the work. Help us to make that our, our sole desire, our heart's ambition.
to be equipped and then properly work that your body is built up in love. Let us not be a weak ligament because of some sin or some area of neglect or fear of man. May this be for your honor and your glory alone. For it's in your holy name that we ask it. Amen.